My name is David, and this is The Big Shut-In. So it's Saturday, the 29th of April, day 14. And uh, tonight I spoke to Michael Shaw Fisher, who's one of my oldest and closest friends. And he's out in Los Angeles, uh, where by night he is a playwright, um, a very well-known playwright on the independent theater scene out there. He's won a ton of awards for his original musicals that he's written. And by day, he works for a moving company as a salesman. And we talked for a long time and got into a lot of stuff um, about both of those worlds he's moving in right now and what things are like out there. So I'll leave it at that and say, here's Mike. How long has LA been in lockdown? Oh God, it's been a week. God, every week feels like, you know, a month. I, I honestly can't even say. I mean, it's been, I know San Francisco's been what, like a week and a half or something? Or two weeks? And then L.A. was just a week later. I really don't know. I mean, I got to be honest. I, it's been so bananas around here that I just haven't even. I've barely been paying attention <laughs> to the rest of the country. <laughs> I'm, I'm counting you got... on you to be my man on the coast. I, I need a. Oh, I'm. Oh, I need yeah, the I'm... full report. You know what do you? Do? I mean, are you are you working? What's going on? Like, give me some. Give me some practical. Well, I ground would, information here. Yeah. Okay. So, like, like New York, we're you know under under quarantine with the essentials being the only things that are permitted currently. Um. So my company is a moving company that falls under that. We uh, we need to make sure that people you know they're getting evicted and all sorts. Of, I had a nurse who was evicted or be, being evicted by her landlord, and the landlord just didn't want her there and. She was going through all sorts of crap. So yesterday, you know, we were just trying to fit her onto the schedule to make sure she could get out of her place. And she was so grateful. I mean, we've had actually people cry uh, over the phone when they found out that they can move. So, I mean, and, you know, that we're still doing our moves. Of course, at the same time, you know, the companies had to change the way we do things. We've had to do the social distancing. I'm working from home. Um, the guys are checked each morning, screened for fever and symptoms and everything. And, you know, they're armed with sanitizer, gloves. We disinfect the trucks. It's that kind of thing. Um, so but we still move forward, you know, because people need food. They need, you know, shelter. We're not just going to stop. I That's amazing. It didn't occur to me that uh, a moving company would be classified under an, as essential service, but... I guess it is. I mean, if you're getting, I can't believe people are getting evicted. I can't believe people are, you said a nurse is getting nurse. Out of, that. I mean, she was she's a sweetheart. She she just was freaking out yesterday, and you know, and part of it is when you're in any customer service job. I think in this particular time, you're also part therapist, so like you hear the entire story of what's going on, and you know, when a person's in a desperate situation. You need to make sure you're accommodating them. Obviously, it's not, you know, and, and they want to they want to be able to share what's going on so they can know so you can be, be aware of the direness of their situation. So, I mean, that's that's sort of where we were at. I mean, where we are at every single day, because, you know, we, we are open every single day. So you're sending these guys out 
every day. Exactly. Out into the out into this the the city. Like, what are they telling you? That what's it like driving around Los Angeles right now? What are the what are the guys who are doing this like going out and interacting with people have to say about all this? Well, these guys, these guys are if you've ever met them, they're kind of like these sort of weird he-men. You know, they they work out constantly. Their job involves them lifting heavy objects. I mean, they're at a physical, you know, level of you know. They're at a, they're at a heightened physical gods that I haven't. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like Zeus spawned them, struck a hand truck with a lightning bolt, and out <laughs> popped. Right. Exactly. Just, just you know, I, I honestly have no way of looking at these guys and being able to be like, I, I have no idea how you guys are going out and doing this because my wife will not let me leave the house, and I'm working from home. We're all, you know, obviously all of the salesmen. Are in their own home. We've got a dispatcher at the office. The guys come in, but the office itself is closed down. It's not a social place where the guys used to come in. We all used to like, you know, kind of hang around there. Now the guys do not come interact with each other. They show up, they meet with their teams. They go out, you know, they're screened. They go off to work and they come back. No one is really communicating with anyone unless someone is sick or if we hear that a customer is sick or a customer has concern and lets us know and we have to cancel the job, you know, then we're not going to send the guys there. But mostly it's just us trying to look out for each other without actually seeing each other. Because I can't, I mean, I can't actually, the more I think about this, the more amazing it is because, you know, if you're going into somebody's house and you're touching all their stuff. Yeah. Particularly if you're packing up their things for them. Right. I mean, there's no way, whatever, whatever they got, you're going to get. Exactly. And well, the way that we look at it too is, you know, how, how can we be prepared as a company, right? Like, can we, can we go in with gloves? Can we go in with a mask? Can we make sure that when we enter the situation that we are like making, obviously the customer and our guys as safe as possible? I mean, like I said, these guys are also probably of the physical caliber where they're not the most worried. They're also of an age where they're not the most worried. I mean, they're like 20s, early 30s, robust guys who are willing to work harder than pretty much anyone I've ever met anyway. And they they kind of go on the scene and they give people a sense of confidence too. They're like, we're going to move all the stuff. We're going to make sure it happens. People are wisely opting to stay cool. Great. I'm going to go over to my, into the garden here. If you need me, I'll be here. And I'm going to go, or I'm going to go off into this bedroom where I don't have any stuff and I'll be in here if you need me just to keep the social distance. So we're just trying to make sure that the guys practice that, the customers practice that. We're all sharing the same paranoid reality. Like when we talk on the phone, I'm booking these jobs. I'm making sure people have you know, a real sense of, you know, that I understand from where, you know, where they're coming from. But I'm just lucky I can work, man. I mean, that's, that's the fact, you know, I'm just lucky I still have a paycheck coming in. That's, you know, that's the next thing I was going to say. That's, yeah, you really are. I, I'm talking to so many people who have been, who have, you know, thought they had rock solid employment, you know, 
Yeah. Until a couple of days ago. And then, you know, I'm an artist, you know, I'm, I'm a writer and, you know, performer and stuff like that. So I, I don't, this, this has been sort of a, you know, a way for me to be able to pay the bills and that kind of thing. And, and honestly, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm genuinely scared. I'm genuinely, genuinely, deeply scared um, where this is going to go and how serious this is going to go. I mean, we're going to be at a point in a couple months where nobody has any disposable income. Everything is going to have to be what you hoarded because even certain jobs like mine potentially could be gone. Like, it just depends. I honestly, I was talking to my father this morning who just had his birthday, and he was like, hoard those pennies. Do not pay, do not buy a single thing that you don't absolutely need to buy. Because if, you know, if, if this goes where it's looking like it's going and it's only begun, if it gets there to where the worst of it could be, if you do have a little bit of money in your account or whatever that is, or a credit card that will still like run things through. God save you, because that's going to be the most important thing to have, anything that you squirreled away at that point, because making more money is going to become harder and harder over the next six months. It's going to become insane. So I'm like, I am working not to save my butt now, but to save my butt three months from now. The only thing I can think is that there will be some kind of, and I think it's, it was amazing to me how quickly it was already discussed, but there will be some kind of real socialism is either going to happen on the national level or on the state level where there's universal basic income, rent relief, universal health care. It's going to have to happen. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, if this goes on like this for three months, they're going to have to do something like that, or the whole country is going to fall apart. Oh yeah, and even loan debt. I mean, just I mean, oof, can't even get into there. <laughs> how are people going to pay back their student loans? How are people going to do? How are people going to eat? How are people? I mean, food stamps is just the beginning of it. I mean, when we're talking about, like you're saying, we've walked into, we've walked into a situation where we've seen exactly how top heavy this excuse my language can we cut that out <laughs> have we seen how top heavy this castle is and this is the same thing that brought down egypt it's the same thing that brought down you know any of the great societies in china or rome or whatever you know the great great empires of the past all had similar things in common such as, you know, the wealthy having way too much and the bottom not having enough to support itself, for there not to be enough infrastructure to protect people um, from just the basics, to, to protect its masses from the basics. And that is my fear that we are heading straight into the point where people are kicking the legs of this thing to see how strong it is. Unless we do, you know, support those, you know, support the people who need the support now, find ways to manage it. Unfortunately, we have the heaviest of heavies sitting at the very top. And for me, that perspective is how long can we sort of the titans of industry keep what we have 
is, is going to danger everybody else. Because if they tip over and we all tip over, it all goes down. There has to those checks and balances that have been able to keep, you know, the, the seriously powerful and the corporate elites protected are going to be the thing that takes down everybody. And we're going to be, like you said, forced to acknowledge that there has to be other solutions. Yeah. Before it's too late, right? You know, it's a funny, it's a funny word, elite, right? It's so fraught with um, political crosstalk. Because I think there's a lot of people kind of in the middle of the country right. who when they, when they use the word elite, what they think of is me and you, you know. Like, they, think of, they think of Washington. Well, the senators, uh, the, 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 the governors, you know, they think of those people too. Well, but they think of people in the arts. They think of educated people. They think of people who have you know, middle-class jobs that allow them to work in a computer and live in a big city and, you know, go out to restaurants. And and the fact that there really is an elite, though, there really are people who just have so much money that, I mean, I saw a statistic the other day, that day that the, um, um, it was the one day highest unemployment filing in the history of the country or something like that. There was like 300,000 people filed for unemployment in one day. It was some shocking statistic. Ooh, and they, um, somebody, I saw something going around the internet. And I, I probably should check this number because it's just a meme. I mean, who knows if he was even right, but said that, you know, Jeff Bezos could give every single person on unemployment ten thousand dollars and he would still have eighty billion dollars <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and I mean, the worst thing and the worst thing is they those people who have that much money they are of the mindset that they can't spend any of it they can't lose any of it because that starts a chain reaction where the fortune is lost you know what I mean? Like, there's deep fears there of losing the status of what that money brings. And then it's also like, yeah, you know, like the, the most, the people who I have to haggle with on the phone are the ones who are moving from like, you know, $5 million mansion. They're the ones who are like, wait a second, that's too much money. I'm like, whoa, this is not like, this is not as much as your car, dude. Like, we're not getting even half as much as your car. Like, this is a move, and we're doing this thing. And you are the most afraid of, like, losing a, a little bit of money when you have a jewelry store in your house. Like, how do we even begin to wrap our minds around what the mind drives to protect? And... We have a certain amount of people in this country who have a certain amount of money, and their minds are striving to protect those things. And the rest of us strive to protect the status quo that protects them. We need to know that those people are protected in some level. Like, a lot of Americans need to feel that those millionaires, those great dreams, those Disney endings can happen. So please, give me one of those people. Like, give me one of those people. Make them our president. He had to have done something right. 
please give me that guy and protect him. If he's protected, then we're all protected. Like, that's the weird psychology that happens. And then people like us who question that are seen as the perverse. You know, we're seen as the... We're seen as, the, as those who are the, the idealists or the people who are destructive. We're not supporting the idea of personal and individual enterprise, and individual safety. And but what we see is we're protecting, or in large, by and large, America is protecting the kind of people who will, will, not, will not do what they can to protect America demand that the ideals of America protect them. And it's, it is a, it's a conundrum that is going to tip the whole thing. And under, it can tip under a virus. And that's what we're learning very quickly. It was only going to tip. Under a virus. Under some incredible natural disaster. I mean, that's what I'm coming around to is like, there's some line that there's a line that's attributed to Winston Churchill, and he, you know, he probably didn't say it, like he probably didn't say half the things uh, people attributed to him. But it, it's that <laughs> Americans, Americans can always be counted upon to do the right thing, but only after exhausting all other possible options. Oh yeah, and slavery, the end of slavery. Well, that's the thing. We needed a, a civil war to end slavery. Right, a civil war, not like not like a full blown you know, understanding of what's right, right, and wrong, not an actual, you know, not a self-realization among people in charge, because the question is, who, how do we, we don't want to hurt these people's feelings. We don't want to lose the states, you know, how are we going to, like, it was the same question back then as it is now. You take, you want to do the right thing. You first need to get over the people who you're afraid of hurting in terms of their antiquated ideas, you know? I mean, they're still arguing that in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about we literally had to kill each other with bayonets to, <laughs> yeah. to get around the idea that it's not okay to buy a guy and use him as farm equipment. <laughs> right. Like, right. I mean, <laughs> the most the most insane concept to think that a person could actually do that and still look at themselves in the mirror. I mean, you know, it's funny. It's funny too because Frederick Douglass talks about that you know he talks about the first person who um who who first the the woman in baltimore who bought him and she'd never had a slave before and he said that he watched how over time slavery had turned in her into a creature she'd been the most beautiful one of the most beautiful people he'd ever met when he first met her she was very generous she served him dinner at the table the things were very she treated him like a house guest and over time, slavery distorted her into something that was unrecognizable to her own Christian heart. And when you realize that, you know, Americans are confronted every day with the choice of what is, you know, easy and what is, you know, the thing that, what is the thing that sort of protects me as a person, however, however much I don't you know, agree with it. For example, you know, whether you're talking about slave, you know, slave labor, basically slave labor in China, you know, to make your iPhones and your electronics, 
Like whether we're talking about that or anything else, it's everywhere. And 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 the thing is, it's whatever we can protect. And if we're threatened, that's when the that's when that lip curls back into a sneer, and you start to become sort of this survivalist, and you lose whatever things that are about you that have ideals. And that's was the de, you know the degeneration he saw in this woman firsthand where she was no longer seeing him as a human being and that is my fear is like if that is what's in the heart of many americans and this epidemic brings it out you know are we going to sneer at the idea of saving our elderly you know are we going to sneer at the idea of saving sneer at the idea of saving our you know our sick like, is it more about making sure that the economy strives forward at all costs than to make some serious changes that are endemic problems in our politics, in our structure if our, of our entire country? In our economy. In our economy. I, You know, people are – that's already being said. People are already saying that. You've obviously seen that of, yeah. you know, grandma's willing to die to save the economy. I mean – and. This kind of nonsense. And right. I just, I hope that's a blip. I hope that's a blip. And when people actually realize how bad this is going to get, they'll come around to compassion. I I hope so. Because the truth is, it's not just grandma. I mean, right. There, <laughs> there's a lot of people our age who are getting sick and ending up on respirators. Um, Very true. What do you, what are you hearing from your... Um, from your actor friends, from your your friends in the arts who maybe weren't so lucky to have a day job that kept kept going. Uh, what what are you hearing from people about? You know, what are they doing about where to live? What are they doing about food? What are they doing about? You know, how, how's your how's your family out there? How's your community out there? Well, you know, I'm I'm involved in three theater companies. I think my wife is involved in. In three or four or something like that. Um, she has her own, which is Cherry Poppins, and they they do sort of musical theater burlesque kind of parodies. And, you know, she just lost basically her only source of income. I'm now the sole breadwinner. She can't go off. She can't do gigs. She can't... Um, the whole season of shows that she planned is no longer going to happen. We have to push that off indefinitely. I'm with another theater company, um, Sacred Fools, and they're fantastic, but they've they've also hit the same situation where all of their theaters are dark. Their bar, which they use obviously to supplement the the you know the income of the theaters and things like that, and to kind of keep the whole machine going, that's dark. No bars are open here, just like New York. I mean, these are 99-seat theaters that are really prominent and want, have won a lot of local awards. I mean, the highest local awards that you can win have are facing an indefinite future. Like, they're still stuck to pay the rent, and they can't rent, you know, they can't do it. Um, in the terms of, of Sacred Fools and the Broadwater, I mean... There's a certain amount of income that comes from rental fees that they can't do. There's also my my one of my dear friends, Ben, who started the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Hollywood Fringe Festival is in a place 
of, I mean, it's a purgatory. It, it doesn't know when it can come back. But there are still people who are on salary there who are getting paid. And how is it going to continue? I mean, they've postponed it until October, hoping that that will give them enough time and maybe we'll be able to come back and have a festival at that point. But I mean, that really depends on how much this balloons. And I mean, they're just everybody's livelihood is standing on this. The entire the entire landscape of theaters that exist now depend on being able to either rent their spaces out or put on their shows to make back their money. I mean, they, they can't exist without social interaction. They are, they are spawned and they're fed through social interaction. And without that, they wither and they die. I don't know what's going to come up in its place. Theater is reaching a point where it is not just here, but in New York City, the, the biggest theater houses, most, you know, prominent and culturally important, you know, theater houses in the country are being shut down. And when they're shut down for a long period of time, there's zero way to get that back. You know, you can, you can rely on those who still have money to support and to fundraise and be angels about it. I mean, that's fantastic. We need those people, but even those people are going to be under too. Yeah. Momentum, you know, losing, losing the momentum of something, starting something is much harder than keeping something going. Right. I was gobsmacked um, when I read the paper this morning that the entire, um, the entire national symphony orchestra was laid off yesterday. Holy man. Oh. All of the musicians. And that, I mean, if, if that's not a safe gig, <laughs> there, there aren't any, you know, there aren't any. Well, it's, it's amazing, man. It's amazing that like those, you know, those, those people, I mean, so many people have felt that they've worked their whole lives to get these gigs. And, now that I finally made it onto television, or if now that I finally made it into the symphony or into Broadway, this is going to carry me, and I'm going to be able to sustain myself. How do these people who don't do anything else sustain themselves when the Titanic is thinking? Like, they just play? <laughs> like, what do you do? The, the, thing, the thing is with L.A. theater, and, I, and, and this is to, you know, kind of directly to your question, what are my, what are these people doing? What are my family doing? Um, I say my artistic family in LA, they are just hunkering down because they know that quarantining is important and they're doing their best to feed each other emotionally. Um, I mean, we're just connecting as much as we can on Facebook as much as we can on Instagram, as much as we can through conversations and Zooms, we're just trying to be there for each other because soon that conversation is going to shift. It's going to shift from a fear of the future and a surrealist sort of isolated reality to a, hey guys, I'm sick. I need to talk to somebody. Who else is sick out there? 
and those one-on-one conversations are going to begin. I'm okay. I'm okay. Call me. I, I survived it. I'm here all night. Whoever wants to talk, if you're sick, call me up. I lived through it. I'll talk you through your symptoms. I'll give you some emotional support. Those things are going to start. Because I'll say this about the arts, too. If ever there was an empathetic, you know, craft, it's people who are striving to be other people diligently to tell the truth of the better part of ourselves. We have to be able to find a way. We have to find a way to have people exist who who still do that. And they're going to be more essential now than ever that that I think that whole idea of looking out for the other person and caring not just for your career obviously but for the world at large that haunts you is going to be um it's going to be everything so i i i'm really i'm i'm both dreading those conversations that are going to come from when the ballooning happens when it really starts to happen over the next few months like those those uh, recorded monologues of a person at two in the morning talking to a camera in tears, worried that they're going to die. We're going to have a lot of those. Um, It's dark. My name is David Hoffman, and this is The Big Shut-In, a production of Race Car Radio. If you have feedback for me or have a story that you'd like to share, you can reach out to me at thebigshutin at racecarradio.com.